Welcome to Spruce Grove Community Church. I don't know about you, but there's something about God's glory that changes absolutely everything. Absolutely everything. And what our heart is here in this body is to reveal that so that we ourselves can be changed. So that we ourselves can be brought into the image of Christ, brought into the knowledge of Christ, brought into full shifting into the kind of believers, the kind of Christians that Jesus was on the earth. Bible says that the, the prince of this age, the God of this age, came and found nothing in Jesus to hold on to. Found nothing. And I ask myself, why did that happen? Why was nothing found in God? Why, why was nothing found in Jesus that the devil could cling on to? And it's because he saw the Father. It's because he saw God's glory and he allowed it to change him. And so what we have here is an opportunity to see God's glory and allow it to change us. Allow it to root out the things that need to be rooted out. Allowed, allow us to destroy the things in us that need to be destroyed. So when something comes and tries to grab hold of a of a, an offense or an anger or a hurt inside of us, it just can't find it because it's gone. Why? Because we've seen his glory. And so this morning is like an opportunity for us as a body of believers to come together and see God's glory in one place, much like the Israelites going to the mountain. God brought them to the edge of the mountain and, and let his glory come and shine on the mountain. And what did the Israelites do? We don't want to see that. God's glory reveals something. And that's what we actually want. So this morning, when you feel that you're getting close to something and it's putting uh, kind of like a highlight on something that feels kind of like, oh man, I don't want to face this. That is the sign that you're seeing God's glory. That is the sign that you're seeing him face to face. That is the sign that his light is shining. Don't run away from it like the Israelites did. Don't run away from it like the Israelites did. Run towards it. Climb up the mountain. Run up the mountain. Because what's going to happen, the exchange that is about to take place is far greater. Listen. It's far greater than any exchange you could possibly have at any other time, any other amazing uh, interaction of money, any other amazing exchange that could take place. It is far greater, and it is about, it is about to happen in a large sense across the whole earth. And it starts right here. Right here. Right in the midst of my heart is where it starts. God, let's pray this right now. God, we don't want to refuse you when your glory shines. We want to run towards your light. I pray right now in the name of Jesus that, God, your light would shine brighter than it ever has before.
and that us as a people would run faster than we ever have before towards that a brilliant light no matter how it makes me feel initially in Jesus name let's worship let's go with that prayer let's keep that posture not to turn away from the mountain but to run towards it this sound that that we're wanting to stay in it's the sound of movement it's an accompaniment that's supposed to accompany us as we are seeking the Lord one of the things that is about to change, I believe, in the body of Christ is the expectations of what we bring when we come to church, when we come and face ministries. We're looking for them to provide for us some kind of experience that can legitimize us returning and returning and returning. But there is a generation that are going to realize that I have a call to seek his face. I'm here to seek his face. And... And like uh, when Israel came to the mountain of God, they were not able to stay in the presence of the mountain. They didn't want to stay. They didn't want to face the music of facing his presence. And the picture is this, is when you go to a tanning salon, and if you can spend five minutes, you're going to come out tanned a certain degree. If you can go 10 minutes, you're going to be darker. The, the transformation that takes place in the presence of God is how far you can go in, how long you can stay there. And the question is, there's always something that in us that wants to recoil. There's something that's in us that's anathema. It wants to withdraw from the presence of God. There's something in us that doesn't want to continue in because we, we feel bad about ourselves or, or we... We, we're afraid, or, or the, the glory of God will shake everything that can be shaken. And so we can't turn back. The exhortation of Hebrews is do not turn back, but press in, press in, press in. In Isaiah 6, 1, it says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood seraphim, each one had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. One cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out. And the house was filled with smoke. So I said, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. God, we want to see you. See, there's a response Isaiah had because he saw the king and if we're waiting to run through the field of daisies it's not going to happen that way if we see the king it requires a response from our, us as people truly seeing God does one thing it reveals the discrepancy between me and him who wants to see God truly who truly wants to see him? Are we truly desiring to 
to see his glory because his glory reveals something to us. God, I'm going to try to ask this as seriously as I can, as meaningful as I can, as truthful as I can right now. God, I want to see you. I want to see you. Reveal. Reveal the one that sits on the throne. I want to see you. No matter the cost. No matter the cost. No matter the price. I want to see you. Open up the realm. Let me be clear about what this journey is, is ahead of us. The scripture is is obvious when it says the pure in heart will see God. The pure in heart will see God. In James, when there are frustrations over people's walk, things not working for them, he says to them, cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. He's talking about the love of the world and the love of God. He said, listen, to the degree that this one exists, you can't have this one. So there is a purifying of heart that's going on in our lives. But we have to want it. We have to want it. We have to be desperate for it. But the better your life gets, the more you're, you know, I could probably live with this. I could probably live till the end. I could, I could exist until the end. But God, see, it's not about you. God has a plan to bring his glory into the earth in increasing measures and he needs a people to seek him with all of their heart. There needs to be a generation of Jacob who when he says, seek my face, they say, your face, Lord, I will seek. And it's not about how good our lives get. It's about how much of the glory is poured into the earth. How much of his righteousness is revealed before mankind. Oh, God. Oh, God. Oh, God, we want to do what's necessary that you could purify our hearts, that you could make a dwelling place here, here in this place, that the hunger and the passion, the honor to your name would be here in this place, that we would honor you. For the past... This is the third Sunday now. I've been feeling that there's a fear here inhibiting our cry for God to come. And we can pray against that right now and tell it to leave. We can tell it to leave because the scriptures say, come taste and see that God is good. He is good. This fear is from the enemy and there there is no truth in this. So right now I just command, I command the fear of the enemy that is telling us that we can't handle what God has for us. And I command you to go. Go now in the name of Jesus because we love God and we want it to grow. God, come, make our hearts full, full, so that we ask with pure hearts, full hearts, we want you to come. The fear is rooted in a belief 
that my life will be worse if I really give myself to God, that I'll go through things that are too hard for me. But you have to trust God. He says, I'll not allow you to be tempted above what you're able. When you look sometimes at what others went through, you think, I I don't want to go through that. I don't want to pay the price to know God. But if you have had any revelation of God in your life up to this point, let me tell you, what's on the other side is even better. What it restores, what it creates, what it changes you into is worth far more than holding on to anything you have right now. So we say, Lord, we are willing. We are willing and we will not let that tormenting, accusing spirit of Satan that says, can you trust God? Can you really give yourself to God? Can, can, can you allow this to get out of your control? Father, we say yes. We say yes. We say yes out of our control. Oh, we value you, God, above all the treasures of the earth. I say like Job that you are superior to all the things that you have given me, all the things that I might have and all the things that I might know. You are superior. You are better, you are higher, you are more valuable. I say I was more valuable to you that you would lay down your life, that you would leave the glory of your father's house and I would leave all of my glory that I might experience you, that I might know you, that you could come and take all my stuff, all my things, my home, my family, all my righteousness, all my ways, all my prestige, all my stuff for the sake of the beauty of who you are, for the sake of the wonder of Christ, for the sake of the manifestation of the presence of God. Oh, it's more beautiful. It's more excellent. It's higher. Oh, we exalt you as higher. We exalt you as better. We exalt you as more beautiful. Oh, oh, we rebuke the lie of the earth. We rebuke the lie of the world. You are worthless. You are empty. You are poor. You are bankrupt. Oh, but the knowledge of God. Oh, but the riches of Christ. We're not, we're not going to pull back from the seeking, but... It's encounters. It's encounters that change your life. There are encounters that God wants you to have. And like like Israel at the mountain, the whole purpose was to transform them into another people. They were given an opportunity to endure this unknown commodity of God that was fearsome. Fearsome. And they couldn't handle it. They said, we don't want to even hear his voice. And so in Hebrews, it says, listen, don't be like them who said, uh, his voice makes me afraid. I don't want to hear his voice anymore. That whole experience is what your whole journey is about. From start to finish, we are drawing closer and closer and closer but it says that the, the mountain was covered in a cloud and you, all you had was the, the hiddenness of God. You didn't know what was on the other side of that cloud. Only Moses got to see. Moses alone endured that fearsomeness of God. But he's, he, in, he encountered it and he heard 
And he asked God, he said, listen, I want to see your glory. He said, I don't care. I'm, I'm, I'm actually going to press through this. I want to see your glory. And so God said, all right, come up the mountain. And he let him come in the mountain. And then what did God do? It was no longer thunder and lightning and the shaking. It was, I will pass all of my goodness before you. The fearsomeness of God extinguishes something in you in order that it would cleanse your eyes to see the beauty and the goodness of God. But if you don't go through the fearsomeness of God, if you don't deal with the fear that that evokes in your flesh because your, your flesh wants to draw back, you will never get to the place where Moses got. And the whole thing is this. That was appointed for a whole nation. They were all supposed to experience that, but only Moses did. And similarly today, the body of Christ, God is saying, listen, I am going to have a people who will press through the fear, who will press through the holding on to their glory, who are going to be shaken because everything that can be shaken will be shaken. And they will see my goodness. But they have to first pay the price of what happens in the moment of the trembling, of the shaking. There's something in our hearts that wants to anchor us to a safe place. And there's going to be a, a generation, they might, they might be prostitutes and drug addicts right now, but there is a generation that is going to experience this. God, 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 we cry out to you. We cry out to you. Father, we cry out to you. We lay behind all the fear, all the fear, all of the thoughts of, I don't want to be too undignified in this moment. I don't want to be too dramatic. I don't want to be stupid. I don't want to look silly. God, we ask in Jesus' name that you would release us from the fear of man that makes us want to posture ourselves and find the appropriate way to be. God, we want to lay all these concerns aside and say, God, we want you. We will crawl forward. Whatever it takes, God, whatever it takes, come on me. Come lightning and thunder, come storms, come raging rivers. We have decided you are the highest. We have decided you are the treasure. We have decided that you are the highest, the greatest, the most valuable. We have decided that in you is life and there's nowhere else to turn. God, we set our faces towards you. We set our faces towards you. We set our hearts towards you. God, we pray in Jesus' name, let the Holy Ghost come. Let the Holy Ghost come. Let the Holy Ghost come. Seeking God is like going into the ocean. We just want to stay in the shallows where it's comfortable, it's safe. This is our image of God is just as safe happy God that loves but he wants to take us deeper into the ocean into the dark parts that we're fearful we don't want our image of God to change we don't want a God that requires something of us we just want to say I said the prayer I get to go to heaven I glorify God but he wants to call us deeper into the dark parts we don't want the image of him to change but it needs to change it needs to change so that we can see him for what he truly is, for what he truly wants us to be. 
The deeper we go, the more he reveals our own hearts. And he can change us. He can change us as we see more of him. Jesus. God, we break the fear of the unknown. We break the fear of the deep. We say we will venture onward. We will explore the depths. We will climb the mountain. We will push through the cloud. We will ascend the hill of the Lord. You don't have to do this if you don't want to, but I want to I wanna take a step in the natural. I want to take a couple of steps in the natural to signify that I'm stepping in. I'm saying, Lord, I want the deep. I want the hidden things. I want what I don't know. So in the name of Jesus, Lord, we step in. We step in. We step in. Lord, we step in. We step in to more of you. God, we say we want more of you. You know, there's, there's so many things that are hanging in the balance right now. When I look at Christians who have gotten disappointed with God or God hasn't met their expectations or things did not transpire in ministry or in their life or in their church the way they thought, and, and you say to them, you know, the pure in heart will see God. And if you seek me with all of your heart, you will find me. I said, oh, I saw it. I saw it, but I didn't find. Do you, do you see what hangs in the balance? It's a belief of who is right. Who, who defines what seeking is enough to cross the threshold? The problem is we have a, a measure of that. And God has a measure of that. And we always side with our measure. We always believe ours was enough. He should have. And our anger is he should have because I deserve it. And this is the pinnacle point. This is the center. This, this, if there's a place where the sword of the spirit, where it divides between soul and spirit and, and, and joints and bone and marrow, if there's a place that it hits, it hits the place of the righteousness. What do you believe is right, you or God? When your opinion differs with what God should have done in this situation, if you feel justified that you did enough on your side, then you're calling God a liar. That's the, that's the central problem. We believe in our righteousness. We believe in our right. We believe that we know what it takes to please God and if, if he is not pleased, then he's not good. Or he doesn't even exist. Do, do, do you see what the... This is the insidiousness of self-righteousness. And that's why the, the gospel, it says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed. And our heart's cry today is to say, God, we want to see... Your righteousness. We want to see your rightness. We want to leave the world of us being right. Because whatever we may think we're coming up against, it ultimately comes down. All the murmuring, all the complaining, all the, all the accusation, even if it's at this leader in this church and this church, it ultimately comes down to God. Those people should not be in charge. I should be. 
What kind of a God are you that would give anointing to that one and that one and that one? I should be in charge. And your ambitions don't stop there. There's a song I just heard sung the other day. Everybody wants to rule the world. That's what's inside your righteousness. It won't stop. It's a little emperor. It's a, it's a, it is Hitler. It is Stalin. It is, it is the spirit of any Christ in your flesh that is, will never be satisfied. That's why it must die. It must die. In the gospel, the righteousness of God is the only remedy for the self-righteousness of the soul of man. So, God, we want to we want to keep coming up the mountains and not say, when is it enough? But say, Lord, I trust you. I trust you. And if I haven't found what I'm looking for, then I'll seek longer. If I haven't found what I need for my soul, then I will humble myself. And I will say there is one righteous, only one. Can we say that there is one righteous? Just tell him, you are the righteous God. You are just and true. You are the way, the truth, and the life. You are the truth. You cannot lie. You cannot tell a lie. You are right altogether lovely altogether lovely I, I've spent years and I'm going to have Nathan come in a second and share some things but I spent years especially the early years of my Christian life seeking God for what is revival what is how can I be changed and not only did God bring me to that pivotal passage in the scripture not only did God bring me to that pivotal passage of Scripture where Israel, that pivotal moment of transformation that God wanted for all Israel, but I began to read about these revival meetings they'd have, and preachers would come up and they begin to declare the glory of God. They begin to declare the righteousness of God. And they would preach, and people would come, and they would spend day after day after day after day after day in this meeting. And what would happen is in the context of the meeting, the glory of God would start to fill the room. And, and the intensity of God and the righteousness of God and everything about God and eternity and the wrath of God and judgment and, and who he is and what he hates and what he loves. And as the room would begin to fill with more and more of that, the, 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 the flesh within these men would begin to shrink and shake. And they would, and, and sometimes it would be weeks of meetings and people would sit under this heaviness of the weight of the glory of God and not know what to do. They weren't given enough. They were just, they weren't told, just pray this prayer and it's all good because it wasn't all good and they knew it wasn't good. There was a transformation that was happening the, as the fear of the Lord, as the glory of God began to increase in the room, it began to cause a deep shaking in them and they knew something was not resolved. They, they couldn't pacify themselves. They, they couldn't placate their own flesh with saying, oh, you know, the Bible says that God loves me, and so I'm good. I'm good. God loves me. No, no. They, they, there was a, an uncompleted process as they sat under the weight of that. But when they were changed, when, 
when the shift happened, they were transformed. I mean, night and day transformations. They were, and they spent the next 70, 80 years of their life following hard after God without abating. This is the outcome of that kind of deep transformation. And here's the, here's the problem. In our culture, we've lost the ability to persevere. To, we, we've lost the ability, not only in the course of our life, but even in the course of a series of meetings. If we're not, you know, spoon-fed a bunch of sugar halfway through, we don't even know what to do with ourselves. But we're not children anymore. And God is saying, I have this body of my glory. I'm, I'm looking for a people to throw this upon to change them. Like Moses, who was able to endure that process of ascending the mountain. And it, when he came down, he was visibly different. God is saying, listen, I'm going to have a people in the earth that are visibly different. Who have experienced the glory of God. When you come back to your husbands and your wives and your co-workers, are going to say, what happened to you? It's like you're glowing. And we may not glow like Moses did, literally. But there's a level of transformation that God is bringing to the body of Christ. What is the cost? How do you get that? Can we feel uncomfortable for more than five seconds without needing to resolve it? Huh. Nathan, why don't you come and share some things that you were sharing earlier. It's our capacity to lean into the glory that can change us. And let me just say this before Nathan shares. You know, sometimes there's this ministry machinery in the church today that makes us just, I don't care. I just, I, sure, I'll have, take some transformation, but just enough so I can stand in that pulpit. Just enough so I can be significant in that circle. Just enough so I can be a person of influence that others will start to look to. And then, then once I get that, I'm, I'm done. I don't need any more of that. Now I'll just do my ministry. That is not the kingdom of God. That is an industry, a false industry of the church that's built around me being something that pleases others. And God is saying, listen, this, I am the one that you need to orient around, not your ministry. I am the one, my glory. You can never stop seeking my glory and be changed by it. But we get satisfied as soon as we start to have a reasonable amount of success. I'm not emotionally unbalanced like I was before. I'm in the, I'm in the, I'm praying effectively. People accept me as a reasonably good Christian. I'm done. We, we can't have these false thresholds. Let's just fix our eyes on the beauty of Christ. He's the one that we long for. We look at you today. We gaze at you, longing that you would permeate us, longing that that life that is in you would mingle with us, that we could be one with you, that we could be in you and you would be in us. Oh, we cast aside every weight, everything that entangles us to be consumed by you to be overtaken by you. We love you. You love us. We're compelled by the burning flame that's in you. We're compelled by your glory. We're compelled by your desire. 
We're awakened by your affection. We're awakened by your zeal. We're awakened by your unhindered gaze towards us. Oh, we love you. Oh, to be in you, Christ. Oh, for you to be in us. Oh, to be a new creation. Exalt the glory of God as supreme. There's nothing that compares. Oh, the one that dwells between the cherubim. Oh, how we long to pass by the angel with the flaming sword into the spirit and the presence of God. Oh, we long to be in the holy place. Oh, we long to know what you feel, God. We long to know what it is when the spirit flows through your own being, where light flows through yourself. Oh, we long for it. We long for things we have no experience of. Our being cries out like a young man who longs for the wedding day. Oh, we long, we groan, we earnestly wait. Oh, the beauty, oh, the beauty of union with God. I've been noticing this thing inside of myself. And this morning I felt in pre-service prayer that longed to fly away from who I am, from this body of death, and into the presence of God. Psalm 84 talks about the sparrow and the swallow. They made a nest at the tabernacles, even the altar of God. And they dwelt there where men couldn't even go, where they couldn't pass into. And there's something inside of my being, that born-again spirit. It has nothing to do with the flesh. The flesh is dull and weak and bored and distracted. And there's no good thing that dwells inside of your flesh. There's nothing good in it. It's ugly and it's worthless. Everything we cover up is just a whitewashed tomb. It just ends up being a tomb when it's all over. But our born-again spirit it cries out for the presence of God. Even if you don't feel it, there's something inside of you that longs for God. It aches for God. It longs to be free from that heavy burden of the flesh. From the demands of your flesh, the demands of food, the demands of fun, the demands of the things of the earth. And it longs for God. It longs for the will of God. In Christ was something that he said, my food is to do the will of my Father. What is this? Oh, satisfaction in doing the will of God. Satisfaction in making the rich richer. Satisfaction in satisfying the God who has all things, who knows all things, and has need of nothing. I believe that God's going to restore a kind of preaching in the church there once was and it it was lost where people feel shaken over hell on a rotten stick that's so offensive to your heart you're appalled by that very thing we've preached against it because it was preached with no anointing with no life of God with no experience where the Holy Spirit went out and captivated the heart of a man 
But there was a time when preachers preached, Jonathan Edwards preached, and they hung on to the pews thinking that they would be sucked into hell and hell would overtake them. They were confronted with the perfection of Christ. The cross is the place where man is confronted with the perversion of the flesh. The cross is not the place where we feel everything is just fine and God wipes sin under the carpet. But the cross is the demonstration of the perversion of men. And where God crushes himself, where God deals with flesh, where flesh is condemned to hell, Christ was crushed and he descended. And it was the glory of God that raised him, for in him was no darkness at all. And so we too will be crucified with Christ. We too will join with him and our flesh will be condemned with him. And it will not rise. And there is a time coming where we'll feel the power of God come upon us and we'll feel overtaken by wickedness. Like we're passing through hell and the chains of death. And it's not a time to rebuke things. It's not a time to say, I'm in, I'm in shame. Rebuke shame. Rebuke condemnation. All of those things have been preached for so long. But God is restoring a pure gospel. And God, we long for it. We're so weary of empty, convincing words that doesn't deliver young men and women, that doesn't destroy powers of hell, that doesn't destroy the wicked nature of the flesh. And so God, we invite again powerful preaching. We invite again, God, that time where we feel gripped under the love of God who grips us with conviction, who won't let go. I think one of my favorite preachers is David Brainerd, which I know hardly anything about. But he used to pray or preach to the um, First Nation people in America. And he preached and he would go out and he felt no anointing. And he fasted and he wept and he mourned before God. Because his words were empty and they had no power to deliver from drunkenness and deadness and dullness and the worship of demons. And he groaned and he would, he came under deep conviction where he'd pray and the snow around him would melt because he would pray with earnestness and desire and groanings. And finally a time came where it broke through. And it went from where it was impossible to convert a man, where it was impossible for a man not to be converted. The glory of God would pierce somebody and they would live in weeks of conviction, weeks of pain over their agony and inability to get to God, that nothing in them could find the beauty of God. Nothing in them was sufficient for the presence of God. And they would abandon themselves and say, God, if it's your will, cast me into hell. And a time would come where they'd experience the beauty of God and salvation and the love of Christ. And they who were forgiven much, loved much. And when they went back years later, there was no one as devoted as the converts of David Brainerd. These natives were given and overtaken by the beauty of God and longed for the presence of God. 
And so we long for this, God. We long for what we haven't seen in our day. I groan within my own body, God, for salvation that's like this, for deliverance that's like this, God. I groan over this church, God. I groan over the people here. God, give us this reality. God, show us your glory. Give us the spirit of intercession. Give us the spirit of groaning, God. Oh, save Spruce Grove. Save a region, God. Save it with power. Save it with the gospel. Save it with your glory. It comes down to the focus of our hearts. You know, when Moses was on the mountain, he was so focused on the glory of God. He was so fixated on the moment with God. And that often is not us. That often isn't pastors and leaders that are in the body of Christ. We have done a terrible job. We have been caught up in the, in the mechanics, the industry that is ministry. And it's like, we, we'll go up the mountain, but unto an end. We go up the mountain because we have this hope that something of the glow of God will be on us. And then when we go back down the mountain, everybody will go, ooh and ah. Because we've seen others come down from the mountain and others go, ooh and ah, when they come down and say, I want that. And so people have pursued position and ministry in order that others will ooh and awe over them. But the pure that see God aren't about men ooing and awing when they come down the mountain. They don't even want to leave the mountain. Their quest, their heart, their focus, their orientation is, God, I want to know you more. God, I... I am, I'm, I'm consumed by the greatness of who you are. I'm infatuated. I'm attracted. I'm, I'm like a, like a, a tractor, traction beam. I'm being drawn into your presence, into your heart. If you command me, I'll go down the mountain. But, Lord, I live. Huh, I live to experience more of you. And it doesn't mean there isn't a time when God says, now go and minister to my people. But God is changing the point at which that happens for a generation. God changes the qualifications, the level of glory that's necessary for this next generation is going to be greater. Because as we get to the end of times, the intensity of evil must be beat by an intensity of righteousness. And it is going to be a climax of all evil that says that the, the, all the, the tares and the wheat will come to maturity. At the end, evil will come into absolute evil. And we must have an answer. And there is an answer in the glory of God. There is a manifestation of the greatness of God that can, that can arrest the deepest heart, the darkest heart that can change the vilest being. <sighs> but it requires the glory. And you may be thinking, well, how come other churches aren't doing this? Others are. Some are, some aren't. Some are called to hold the ground of ministry while, the, while God is preparing a new generation. 
of, of ministers. Well, well, you know, when, when, the, when the war was going on, any war, there's still R&D going on in the background. There's people behind the scenes getting new weapons, training better soldiers, coming into new things so, to win this war. And I can't say why I am attracted to more of God, but I, and I cannot turn back. I can't turn back. I can't turn back. And even though I've had some great experiences in, in God and in the kingdom and in ministry, I can't turn back. I feel irresistibly drawn that there's more. There's a threshold that we are, we are meant to cross. We are meant to cross. And it might have something to do with nations. It might have something to do with your unsaved relatives in this region. I don't know. But all I know is that there is a drawing, there's a sound, there is a voice that says, come up higher, come up here. And it's not God that's keeping us back. The way is open. This, this is obvious. The way is open. It's what's in us that recoils at that higher presence. We start to get confused, uncomfortable. We start to feel out of our element. It happens all the time when Michael Danforth comes here. People are like, no, it, gets, it just gets too much. It's too spooky. I don't understand it. I want to stay where I, with what I understand. I want to stay with what I know. I want to stay with what I can master. I can stay w- with what I can talk about intelligently and convince others of. I hate the feeling of not knowing what's going on. If you've been in this church at times, I don't know what's going on, and I feel stupid, I feel less. The enduring of that is the beginning of the enduring of his greater glory. Just that little bit of uncomfortableness, of feeling like, I, I don't know why, I don't know what to do. I, what, what am I supposed to be doing? I want to go to a kind of worship that I like, that I know. That's always our attraction in the flesh. But I want to go to where I don't know. I want to go into places where I feel out of my element. And I felt that discomfort like you felt it. I felt that sense that I, 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 I was on my television show interviewing a guy. And I was experiencing that. And I was thinking, man, I can't catch up to him. I can't, I don't, I, I can't even think of anything intelligent to say. It's like the pace is what, of what's going on. I understand what he's saying. But I cannot enter. The flow of this is much greater than anything I have. And I felt uncomfortable. And it was a changing moment in my life where I said, Lord, there's a higher stream I, that I haven't touched. Where is that? How can I get into that? What is that? I want you to know when you read what Jesus said in the Beatitudes and the sermons he preached, he, why is it so complex? Why is it so not understandable? Because he is in a high level flow of revelation and knowledge. It represents mountains of revelation, but he's just skimming across the tops of these things and nobody could keep up with him. I want to be humbled. I want to go to places where I feel like the least in the room. Lord, we want to say, kill that thing inside of us that wants to be the greatest in the room because there can only be one. 
That, that feeling, that desire for dominance and supremacy is what God is after. It's what he's trying to bring to an end. Because in heaven, every knee will bow and every tongue confess. And it's going to be too marvelous, far beyond us. His ways are higher. And Lord, we don't want to succumb to the pride that says, no, I, I know some things. I'm very intelligent. I'm competent. I know how the church should be run. I know how God should run this war of righteousness. I know what should be done. God, we repent. How many times we've, we've thought, I know how to do this. I could do a better job. And I confess, Lord, I've done it myself again and again and again. Father, we want your glory. More of you and less of us. So, Lord, as Nathan prays, give us an appetite to seek. Give us a capacity to long. And, Lord, we just, we just don't know. We just don't know. I feel like there's something he's beginning to release into our lives. I remember years ago when I first came to this church and the struggles that happened, and I, I saw that people who had, were in charge of things wanted to keep everything at their competency level. Do you understand what I mean by that? Uh, Perry's talked about this in, in, the, in the field of computing and, and uh, programming where there's new industries. There's, I mean, there's new technologies, there's new languages, there's new things coming out. But when you go into a big corporation and people in there are mostly concerned about keeping their place. And so they don't want you coming and teaching a new computer language that they don't know. Because that displaces their sense of importance. They could learn it, but most of them are past the place. They're just, they're just on their way towards retirement. They just want to hold it together until they retire. And if, I, if we implement this new thing with your code, that makes look all my code look bad. Because it's old, it's inefficient, it's power-consuming, it's slow. And that same intransigence that's in corporations around natural knowledge is in the church around spiritual knowledge. And it takes a people that say, I don't care about my place anymore. It might be easy. You might be saying, well, I don't have a place, so this is easy. And pray, then begin to pray for those for whom it's hard because this is coming to the whole body of Christ. And if we break through, we break through for everybody. If God gives us favor to break through into something, it's to serve the entire body of Christ. It's not to say, hey, look at me, woo-hoo. So, Father... The prophetic sounds of your nearing the earth reverberate in our hearts, Lord. You are bringing revelation, the knowledge of you, the knowledge of your ways on a level we've never seen. We say we want it. We want it, Lord. I just want to read this one scripture. Romans 1, 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God for 
or to salvation. It is the power of God. The power to change. The power. Salvation is, is uh, the word sozo, I think, right, in the, in, in the Greek, which means it has to do with a wholeness, a healing. So the, the gospel, the amount of the gospel you absorb is the amount of healing you get. And um, for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, just as, as it is written. So there are incremental levels of our transformation. And, and uh, it comes, you know, Paul said in another place, Oh, that I long for the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. Because the knowledge of the, the fellowship of his sufferings makes way for the power of his resurrection. We don't like the fellowship of his sufferings. We want to sort of quickly run through that and go to the resurrection part. But God can't raise what ain't dead. So my Texas grandma used to say. I didn't have a Texas grandma. So, but God can't raise what ain't dead. And so if God is killing you, it's up to you to die quickly. And your resiliency is not a problem for God, but it can be a problem for you. Um, but the faster you die, the faster he can raise you up. The raising up doesn't take but a second. It's the dying that takes longer. Right? So anyway, I won't say any more about that. But... Um, the purpose of fasting, actually, Jesse, why don't you come here? And you had articulated that really well the other day. The purpose of fasting is to create the potential for a shift in your heart. There's, you know, we've tried to dumb down fasting. We've tried to make it so, like, everyone is really easy. User-friendly fasting, that's good. Uh, and uh, that wasn't really the point. The point was to bring you to a place of, of revelation that your physical body, your physical strength, isn't enough and you have to rely on the spirit of god and when i've fasted what i've i've come to that very thing i'll be like weak and i'll feel tired and shaky but i'll come into a prayer time and i'll be extremely sensitive to the spirit of god because the flesh you realize how how valueless it really is and how much more you can pull from the spirit of god and so um there's some things that uh you know, there's a lot of things actually with fasting that we can learn about, uh, but I encourage you even right now to start researching in Scripture where it talks about fasting and things like that and, um, and go from there. Because you can't just say, I'm going to do like a 40-day fast and just expect it to be like super simple. Um, but, but uh, you know, if I were to start that like right this second, I probably wouldn't make it. So... <laughs> That's just the reality. I mean, if there's a, there'd have to be a pretty major shift. So there are some smart things to do. Um, and so don't just go and, like, I'm not going to drink or eat for 40 days because there's a pretty good chance you'll be in the hospital at the end. So. <laughs> now, if you look in Scripture, one of the things you find is often when there's a call to fasting or talk about fasting, there's a, also a talk or nuances of humbling yourself. And uh, ultimately, it, it ties it back into the equation of receiving God's grace versus being resisted by God. God gives grace to the humble and resists the proud, right? And so, believe it or not, weakness causes the heart to lower. 
It just, it just does. It just financial weakness, circumstantial weakness, sickness, you know, anything that makes you not feel like, hey, you're, you know, you could handle anything. And so there's something in, as your flesh weakens, as your confidence and self weakens, your spirit starts to reach out to God and lean into God in a purer way. And that's what is accomplished through fasting. It's not the sacrifice. Oh, I'm going to give this up for God. Great. God's not that impressed. It's what it does to you. Do you understand? The religious idea that, oh, I'm giving this up for God, and it's this, this great thing that I'm offering him. He doesn't want it. What he wants is only what your heart can give him, what your heart can't give when it's proud and lifted up. And so... The fasting is for you. You're not giving God anything. You're giving yourself an opportunity. So it's not religious service, you know, like oh, 18 Hail Marys and half a fast. Uh, you know, that's, that's sometimes what we get in our minds, and we sort of end up gleaning more glory from the fact that we're giving this thing up for God and God now owes us. You know what I mean? It ends up doing the opposite of what it should have done because of a religious mindset. So we want to we wanna watch and not get caught up in that. But there's something that facilitates a clearer connection with God and his humility. And so prayer and fasting is always associated with humility. Did you have something to say? No, I just wanted to say. Um, one of the most important aspects of prayer and fasting in scripture is that the leaders called the people to prayer and fasting and they submitted and obeyed. And in our independent culture where everybody makes their own decisions, that is incredibly hard on our flesh. Like what right do the leadership have to tell me? I mean, I have problems with them telling me I have to be here at 10. What about if they tell me to go without food? or other important things. But uh, think of the sweetness that is caused in your spirit when the leadership in the church says, we need to fast, and you say, okay. That's an excellent thing. That's a sweet thing. And, and we want to have that character in us that when they say that, we fall into that. And that is so, like I said, that's so biblical. That is so scriptural for a people to submit to their leadership. And when the leadership says, do this, the people does that. So we say that we are a people like that. We are a people who submit to one another and submit to our leadership and come under the wisdom that they walk in. So, Father, we want to thank you for this day. Thank you, Lord, that you are training our hearts to truly seek after you. And, uh, Father, in this... Uh, fast food culture of immediate uh, gratification. Father, we've lost the meaning of protracted seeking, Lord, but I pray that our whole lives would be a glorious seeking of you, a leaning into you, a chasing after you, a running into you. Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.